0: And now, for your feature presentation.
1: One, or two, or three, or four,
2: but five, Force 5. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I am Jason Kleberg, and this, of course, is the Force 5 Podcast, a show that features a guest that is forced to come up with a movie-themed Top 5 list, and then we talk about those picks on air. I've got a really great guest on today in Chauncey Talise. He's one of the co-hosts of L.A. Podfidential and a staff writer and editor for the Los Angeles Football Network. But we're not talking football today. No, no, no. We're going to be tossing around our picks for the biggest 21st century Oscar errors. Before I get Chauncey on the line, let's talk about a few things that I've seen in the past week. I finished a show featuring Brian Cranston as a mild-mannered dad who would do anything for his family, and that is put to the test when he's got to break the law in order to keep them protected. But I'm not talking about Breaking Bad. This is Showtime's new show, Your Honor. 911,
0: what's your emergency? Hello? Are you there? Dead. I hit somebody,
1: and I left him. I left him there. Oh my God. Don't tell anyone. Not ever. I can do this. I can keep you safe if no one ever hears about it. The boy you hit this morning is Jimmy Baxter's son. The head of the most vicious crime family in the city. Whoever you are,
2: wherever you are, you will be found. Your Honor is about a judge that's forced to confront his convictions when his son is involved in a hit-and-run that embroils an organized crime family. Facing impossible choices, he discovers how far a father will go to save his son's life. Along the way, many people get wrapped up into this web of lies that impacts people from all walks of life. Now, somehow, it totally passed me by that there was a new Brian Cranston show, one in which he plays a father forced to do crazy things, and, like, there has to be these Breaking Bad comparisons, but this is way different. The show moves at a brisk pace and imbues a fantastic sense of dread as you start to see that sweater of lies unraveling. At 10 episodes, the show never feels like it's outstaying its welcome, although sometimes it does feel like the House of Cards has stayed up way longer than it should have. Cranston is awesome, as usual. He's, uh, he's playing Judge Michael Desiato here, he shares the screen with Michael Stolbarg, who plays a New Orleans crime boss named Jimmy Baxter. And the scenes in which the two are on screen together are are they're riveting. They're awesome. Two powerhouse actors just trying to one-up each other on screen. And although we see far less of him, I'd argue that Jimmy Baxter is a much more interesting character. And Stolbarg's presence on screen is absolutely commanding. Most of the supporting characters are great as well. Carmeny Jogo plays Lee, a lawyer trying to get to the bottom of a case that just doesn't add up. Amy Landecker plays Nancy Costello, a take-no-shit police officer who stops at nothing to get her man. And Jimmy Stanton, who plays Jimmy's son Carlo, is terrifying as the wild-card Baxter boy. Unfortunately, the show's weakest link comes with another one of its supporting characters, and this is the character of Adam Desiato. Adam is Michael's son, the catalyst for the whole plot. Unfortunately, he fucking sucks. He sucks to the point that every time he's on screen, inevitably doing the stupidest thing you can do at that time, it made me physically angry. I don't fault Hunter Doohan, the actor who played him, as much as I do the writers. He continuously makes the worst choices to the point where you just want him to get caught or killed and get this all over with. I understand he's going through emotions like shock and guilt, but it doesn't excuse how stupid he acts. It's also hard for me to believe that this fucking kid, who seemingly has the personality of a wet cardboard box, is juggling two beautiful women. Out of all the outlandish moments in this show, that is by far the least believable. And that's saying a lot. The show also hinges on terrible police work, which is bad to a degree that feels unrealistic. Nancy seemed like a smart woman. She should have put two and two together by the end of the second episode. The writing is not good. I'm supposed to believe that someone performs a hit and run at what seems like a decently busy area, and no one saw anything for over five minutes? Not one other car came by? At least stick the scene in a different area, not an intersection that's busy enough that it needs a traffic light. Now admittedly, I had more fun with this than most people, despite the writing. The performances from everyone not named Adam are good, even if the story is as dumb as a bag of hammers. That being said, it's hard to recommend the show based on how bad the writing is. A good detective would have had this thing wrapped up by the middle of the second episode. The way it ended was even dumber than the way it started, and I'm not sure where they can go from this moment if it does return. Then again at the same time, there are a ton of loose ends that were never tied up, and so many characters never received their comeuppance. I also saw a real doozy this week from 1989. Edgar Allan Poe's The Black Cat.
1: Fear. The most powerful instinct in the world. Fear and a mother's need to protect her child from the ultimate face of evil. Ah! Ah! The black cat. Two women. One driven by love. The other driven by desire. Racing into hell. A woman who will stop at nothing to get what she wants. A child trapped in a web of hideous danger, as those around him are pulled down to the depths of passion, to the brink of madness,
2: into the bowels of hell. In this unofficial sequel to Susperia, a screenwriter and director pitch a four page script about a witch named Lavanna to a very powerful movie producer, with the intention of having the director's wife, Anne, playing the titular role. Unfortunately, the producer is dead and the witch is real, kind of. The witch does not want Anne playing her in a movie, so she makes her refrigerator stop working and dresses up as a nice repairman. If you're looking for a movie that's batshit crazy, you're in luck. Part of the charm of The Black Cat, or Demon Six as it's sometimes referred to, is that the entire movie literally makes no sense. The first 20 minutes is pretty straightforward. These two goons cook up a script that's literally less than 10 pages, and then weird shit starts happening. At first, it's this witch Lavana crashing through a mirror and spewing hot green goo all over Anne's face like she just said the word of the day on You Can't Do That On Television but soon it escalates into a medium's guts exploding out of her stomach and a giant head floating outside of Anne's house, shooting laser beams from its eyes. The special effects and gore are endearing just because you can see they did everything they could on a very shoestring budget. This movie borders on the edge of being so bad that it's good, but ultimately falls back on the side of being so nonsensical and just not bad enough that it's just kind of bad. The acting is fine, and the English dub sounds like you'd expect, but it's never outlandish enough to be funny. The line that really made me laugh was when the refrigerator goes out in the middle of the night and Anne goes to investigate it. Her husband comes down, takes a Coke out of the fridge, pops it open, takes a sip, and says, well, I think we should have another stab at sleeping. Also, if you're here because of the Edgar Allan Poe relation, you can turn around, because there's no Edgar Allan Poe relation in this film aside from the blurb on the cover. Contrary to what the title card says, this has absolutely nothing to do with the black cat story. In fact, the movie has nothing to do with its own black cat story, because the random shots of black cats that were haphazardly inserted never share the screen with any of the actors involved. A little research shows that they were put in after the movie was done because the studio had lined up a series of Edgar Allan Poe films. The movie was also released under the title Demons 6, which is another odd choice as the film has nothing to do with demons either. What I kept thinking about while watching this film is that these guys got a deal with a producer after writing a four-page script? I'm over here working my ass off on 120-page runs? What am I doing wrong here? On the plus side, I guess mine are not summoning ghosts. Listen, the Black Cat is a mess. It most definitely is a wild experience, however, and if you're looking for something to scratch sort of that Argento itch, this should do the trick. The visuals are inspired and it definitely has a lot of charm. That being said, I doubt I'd ever sit down to watch it again. This is a disc from Severin, and the disc looks nice. It was culled from a new 2K scan on the material. Unfortunately, the only extra is a 10-minute interview with Luigi Cosi and Carolyn Monroe. I also checked out another boutique Blu-ray disc this week, and that's 1992's Cthulhu Mansion.
1: Since the dawn of time, there has existed a cult that worshiped the great Cthulhu. A demon so powerful that it destroyed all that came in its path. Cthulhu lives on today, hiding in distant wastes, dark places and close to home. Hiding and waiting for the one that will open the door and unleash Cthulhu on the world.
0: Check it out. It's like the Monster Mansion.
1: By crossing this threshold, this house holds great danger for all of us. We must leave.
2: Oh. We have entered a world of shadow and substance.
1: What the hell do you guys keep down
2: there? Cthulhu Mansion forces us to follow a pack of cookie-cutter punk bad guys who, for some reason, botch a drug deal at the county carnival and proceed to carjack the magician who is performing D-level magic tricks at the carnival along with his daughter. Hunted by the cops and the drug dealers they ripped off, the gang goes to the magician's mansion, where they slowly find out that they're really the ones being held captive. If this sounds like an awesome setup for a wild film, well, I apologize for getting your hopes up. I always try to start any review off with a good thing about the film, so I guess I'll say that this one was slightly more entertaining than one of Vinegar Syndrome's other January releases, Dark Tower, but not by much. The picture looks nice. Vinegar Syndrome did a great job with a new 2K scan from the 35mm elements. There were a few effective jump scares and the special effects were all done practically. I actually thought they looked pretty good. The only problem was that they were used so sparingly. We barely got a chance to see them until the last 5 minutes of the film. The standout moment here is a scene in which one of the villains walks into the kitchen for a late night snack and gets pulled into the fridge by some giant troll hands. I'd like to have seen more zaniness in the mansion. This, however, is yet another PG-13 horror film that should have leaned into its premise. That means no gore, no nudity. It's even more disappointing considering it's from the director of Pieces and Slugs. How can those films be so bananas and this one ended up so tame? The characters are all so bland. We get the cut-and-paste leather-wearing punk bad guys here that are just bad because they're bad. No characterization, no depth, just evil for the sake of being evil. They're like four minimally different versions of Streets of Rage Expendables. The father is probably the most interesting character here, a man wrestling with the guilt of burning his wife alive while performing a satanic ritual gone bad. But don't ask me how a carnival magician is able to afford a mansion. The acting here is bad, but it's not bad enough that it's fun to watch. It's just kind of bland. Oh, and just like with The Black Cat, if you're here for the mention of H.P. Lovecraft on the box art, which says, from the imagination of H.P. Lovecraft, aside from the word Cthulhu on a notebook in the house, this film has nothing to do with that mythology. This one was a snoozer. It's not fun enough to warrant a recommendation, which is a shame because I'm a sucker for a good, crazy, possessed house film. Although the practical effects look good, they just don't get enough screen time. This is an early 90s film that feels like a late 80s film. If there's one word that I wouldn't expect to call a J.P. Simon film, it's boring. Consider me disappointed. On the extra side from Vinegar Syndrome, we get a documentary that's actually better than the movie. It's called The Simon's Jigsaw, a trip to the universe of Juan Piqueira Simon that goes through the director's life and work. We also get an interview with Colin Arthur, the special effects artist last but certainly not least is my favorite thing that I watched this week and something that I need to shout to the rooftops because everybody needs to watch this show. It's a very underseen show from 2020 called Gangs of London.
1: We're born into a certain world. It's chosen for us. Some might think it's brutal.
0: No! No! No, please! Please don't kill me!
1: I say it's glorious. Someone chose to kill Finn Wallace. Today we mourn the loss of a great man. But tomorrow it will be business as usual. Mm, No. Everything stops
0: until I find out who killed him.
1: It was a time when nobody would have dared touch this family. I'm gonna make things right Mum. Sean Wallace himself, tasking him me to find a guy who killed
2: his father. Gangs of London is the story of a city torn apart by the turbulent power struggles of its international gangs and the sudden power vacuum that's created when the head of London's most powerful crime family is assassinated. It's like a more modern Game of Thrones, swapping Cole Meany for Sean Bean with guns and bombs instead of swords. The show is created by Gareth Evans, who also directed two episodes, and his focus on amazing action scenes seen in The Raid Redemption and The Raid 2 are on full display here again. There's exciting hand-to-hand combat and gunplay in just about every episode, and they're on par with the action scenes of major motion pictures. One scene in particular features a raid on a house that is absolutely stunning and could go toe-to-toe with films that have ten times the budget. I really love the power dynamics between the various families here. A particular standout is Nargis Rashidi as Lael, the head of a Kurdish power in London. Her ruthlessness and poise were really interesting to watch on screen. I also really loved Orly Shuka as Luan, a ruthless gangster with a separate typical home life. Sope Dorisu plays Elliot Finch. He's kind of like the audience surrogate and the main character of the show. He's amazing. He takes on a lot of the action scenes, specifically the one-on-one fights, in which he's a complete and utter badass. Now, if you're looking for realism, the element of believability quickly flies out the window in this show. Episodes routinely have body counts of 20 or more, and you have to be wondering when any authority would start poking into things. Even if London law enforcement was paid off, surely the death of hundreds of people would start looking a little suspicious. It did not bother me, I want to make that clear. In fact, I felt like Evans went in this direction on purpose, and I was fine with it. There's also a gang that just kind of appears out of nowhere during the last few episodes. Uh, Season 1, by the way, is nine episodes long, and their appearance felt a little bit strange to me. It wasn't a deal-breaker in any way, and actually, I kind of dug that character and his gang but it almost felt as if they were taking the place of another family that was already on the show. The worst thing about this show is that it's nearly impossible to watch. In the United States, you're limited to seeing it on AMC+, which is a service that I didn't even know about until I was researching this show. And the only Blu-ray release is a Region B, so that's out too, unfortunately. The violence in this show is brutal. Brutal. If you're not into that, probably best to walk away now. In the very first episode, you get a dart put through a man's hand, a head scraped across a wall so hard it leaves blood streaks, a man who gets a glass shoved into his mouth and then smashed into a bar top, shattering it, you get a man lit on fire while hanging from a high-rise building, a person chopped up in a bathtub, and more. Also, at some point, somebody gets their fingernails pulled out with pliers. This show is crazy with the violence. I gotta say, I really, really love the first season of Gangs of London. It definitely has the best action I've seen in an episodic series since Cinemax's Banshee. If you're looking for something action-packed, relentless, brutal, with a touch of drama that made Game of Thrones such a fun watch, you will not be disappointed. This thing even features a few Game of Thrones actors. You got Michelle Fairley, uh, who played Caitlin Stark, and David Bradley, who played Walder Frey in there. So, love this show. Can't recommend it highly enough. It's almost time to bring Chauncey on, but first, here's a little something from today's sponsor. If there's one thing that's true about podcasting, it's that it will make you thirsty, and while flapping your gums all day, what's better than a nice, hot cappuccino? I'll tell you what, a -a Dunkaccino. Something's brewing at D&D.
0: Wow! Al Pacino!
1: It's not Al anymore. It's Dunk. Dunkachino? Don't mind if I do. What's my name? Dunkachino. It's a whole new game. Dunkachino. You want creamy goodness? I'm your friend. Say hello to my chocolate blend. Attica, who I lucky light? This whole trial is out of sight. They pull me back in with hazelnut, two caramel swirl. I know it was you. Everyone wants my Dunkachino. Can't get enough of my Dunkachino. Kids from seven to 17-o. lining up for my Dunkachino. What's my name? Dunkachino. Dunka, 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 Dunkachino.
2: <laughs> I can't fucking believe that I just played a Dunkachino. I can't believe I played a clip from the from fucking Jack and Jill. On This show, this is the Force 5 Podcast and joining me from 300 miles to my south in Santa Clarita is Chauncey Talese. He's a writer and editor for the Los Angeles Football Network covering the Rams and also the host of L.A. Podfidential. How's it going tonight? I am fantastic. How are you? I am amazing. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself other than your, your podcast and your your work. What else you got going on?
3: I mean, I have a five-year-old daughter um, and my
2: wife and I live in Valencia, California.
3: Um, I was a film a film school student, and then I fell into football writing, because that was my other passion, and I am a huge, gigantic awards nerd.
2: <laughs> I am also an awards nerd. Do you do, uh, like, awards parties or anything like that? I mean, obviously, you know, in a non-COVID world.
3: I'm really the only person in my, in my circle that cares, so, you know, I don't get to have the fun of, like, beating people in Oscar pools and stuff, because, like, I'm the really the only one that cares, and I'm just kind of eye-rolls, like, whatever, we get it, it's cool. <laughs>
2: I mean it's like the Super Bowl for movie lovers.
3: Yeah, I mean I enjoy both. I mean the Super Bowl was on my birthday even though this year sucked but whatever. I mean I love doing both but you know, and I constantly diving deep in Wikipedia, like just looking at past winners for Oscars, Emmys, Tonys and Grammys. Sometimes just going kind of like, "Oh yeah, do they have one?" And you're like, "Oh hey, someone won this in like 75. That's cool. I never knew that."
2: Yeah, there's a lot to dig into there. Uh you can join my party next year, hopefully when everyone's vaccinated. Believe me, I plan to. <laughs> <laughs> Just to give people kind of a taste of what movies you normally like, what are some of your favorite movies of all time?
3: Oh my God, all time. Uh, Roger Rabbit, Empire Strikes Back, Tommy Boy, Pulp Fiction, Silence of the Lambs, uh, Coming to America. I mean, a, a ton. <laughs> my top five
2: changes every day. Well, we've got a very cool top five today. So with the appetizer out of the way, let's get to the list.
0: You know what's going to happen? No, you know what's no, happening to no, me no, right no, now? No, know what's
1: going to happen. No, 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 no. no. You just made the list. Top <laughs> five. Top five.
2: Top five. Top five 21st century Oscar errors. The Oscars, they get things wrong a lot. Like, almost too many to talk about. And <laughs> I, I had trouble getting my list down to five. I'm sure you did me as well. Too.
3: Cause yeah, for me, I try to make sure my balance out like, well, why, why would this be, make me angrier than something else? If, like someone else got one down the road. I'm like, well, you know, the world balanced out so that they're fine or, well, they already won one, so it's all good. Or I don't know. Um, I tried to limit things to what was in that category that year. Cause like figuring out a whole nother list of nominations would be, you know, an eight hour podcast and nobody wants to hear that. Sure. <laughs> so, and I'm like, well, I don't want to just be acting and directing. That's boring. So I kind of branched out a little bit with crafts, too. There's like a couple technical ones that I was like, oh, this is annoying. But, you know, we'll see what you got, too.
2: I got one craft one in there, but I found that most of the ones I was I was most upset about were in the acting and the directing categories. So we'll see how we match up. I'm wondering if we'll have any crossover because I had a ton on my honorable mentions list. Is there a reason why you chose twenty first century? Is it was just kind of narrow things down a bit?
3: Yeah, Cause like everyone's heard like, yeah, well I would have picked uh Goodfellas over uh, uh, Dances with Wolves or oh Denzel over Pacino and or, or Pacino in any point in the seventies, like Pacino over Art Carney or something like that. You know? Like that's just too broad and like the twenty first century is quietly one of the more disastrous um portions of the <laughs> history because they're all over the place. Sometimes they'll nail it like moonlight, and other times they won't like Green Book. <laughs> so, yeah.
2: You know. Cool. Well, I left off what was regarded as I think is the most popular or glaring 21st century Oscar error. So if it's not on your list, I guess we can talk about that later. Let's get to your number five on five 21st century Oscar errors. Chauncey Talese, what's your number five?
3: Okay, my five went, my five is kind of dumb and a little petty, but whatever. I wanted Bad Grandpa to win Best Makeup over Dallas Buyers Club.
1: So can you help me? Can you help me, sir? I don't expect you to understand, but I have my penis stuck to the soda machine. Gabriel, I'm stuck. My penis is stuck in the machine. Gabriel, help me. Help me. Oh, Gabriel! Gabriel! Could you help me, sir? Please don't announce it. It's a fucking embarrassing. Can you help me instead of announcing? Please, it's not funny.
3: I really don't like Dallas Buyers Club and Bad Grandpa actually makes the makeup. The movie doesn't work if the makeup sucks. I guess that's true. It drives me nuts that they didn't win. I'm like, they created an entire Grandpa Irving. You know, Irving doesn't work if the makeup is bad.
2: Were they nominated for that one?
3: They were. They were. Like that was the thing. It was like Dallas Buyers Club, something else that I, oh, um, oh, crap. Um, forget the name of the movie. It's a Swedish movie. And then, um, and then Bad Grandpa. Uh,
2: for those who haven't seen Bad Grandpa, what is it about? Just, just so people know.
3: So in the Jackass movies, there's a character Knoxville created while an old man makeup called Irving Zisman. And he would go to, you know, be dirty, dirty old man or crazy old man stuff and then try to get people to react. Like in Jackass 2, he has like his grandson with him and he's like pretending to give him cigarettes and give him alcohol. And some guys have just a fight with him on the street. So it's like a spinoff movie of that. It shouldn't work at all. But A, the makeup is top notch and B, Knoxville just crushes it.
2: Yeah, I've always been a fan of the, the <laughs> Knoxville stuff, whether it's Action Park or... Uh, I wanted more out of Action Park, but I agree with you. Or, you know, the Jackass films. A Bad Grandpa is just a continuation of that. Shocking right. people. Half half
3: half story, half uh, bits. Yeah. Stunt.
2: I will go to my number five, which is also in a specialty category. This is for best sound editing and and best music mixing. I was shocked when 2017's Dunkirk won both, when in the same categories, you had Edgar Wright's Baby Driver. Doc, I mean, is he retarded? Retarded means slow. Was he slow? No, and you don't sound the retarded to me.
1: He's a good kid and devil behind the wheel. What the hell else more do you need to know? So you don't think that there's something wrong with him? He's not saying anything. There's nothing wrong with a little quiet.
3: You know why they call him baby, right?
1: Still waiting on his first words.
3: Oh, well, man, I know that's a tough one because I like both movies, but I agree with you because that's another one where the sound in Baby Driver doesn't work. I mean, the movie doesn't work if the sound sucks because it's, a,
2: it's basically a musical. Exactly. It's, so for those of you who haven't seen Baby Driver, you need to go watch it, but it's about a hearing-impaired getaway driver named Baby, who basically his entire life is set to a soundtrack, and essentially the entire film is set to music. Not only is it a great soundtrack, but it's amazingly interwoven into what we see on screen, and it's masterfully done from the very first scene. There's a scene which features the song tequila and there's bullets flying they're, they're basically meeting with some gun runners and the bullets are timed to the exact beats in the song. And this was something that's done so well that I didn't even notice it until the second time I watched it. Every trigger pull is set to the song. It's amazing. I don't know how they did it. But it was a feat, at least for best sound editing. I mean i I was amazed that this didn't win. Dunkirk's great, and the sound in it is awesome. It got editing though, didn't it? Baby Driver? No, it, it lost both to Dunkirk in, in twenty seventeen. No, no, I mean just uh,
3: film editing. Oh shoot, no, uh, Dunkirk did. Never mind.
2: Oh, that damn Dunkirk strikes I'm again.
3: Really sure Dunkirk got editing too, because I remember getting that one wrong. Because I was like, oh, they're gonna give it to Baby Driver because like because they're gonna be. Not cute, but they're gonna give it to something that's a little bit more unconventional. I'm like, oh wait, Dunkirk, duh.
2: <laughs> yeah, I just I can't understand how 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 it didn't win any of those. I mean, it's such a well edited film. So yeah, that's that's my number five, Baby Driver, at the 2017 Oscars. That's a good
3: one. On to your number four. All right, I have Chris and Wig and Annie Mumolo winning uh, for best original screenplay uh, for Bridesmaids over um, Midnight in Paris for Woody Allen.
1: Hey, buddy.
3: Hey. How you doing?
1: I'm oh good. I feel I'm so much more relaxed. Thank you, Helen. I just feel like I'm excited, and I feel relaxed, and I'm ready to party with the best
0: of
2: them.
1: Wow. And I'm going to
2: go down to the river. <laughs>
1: wow, it looks like somebody's really relaxing now. Yeah, wow. what are you guys talking about up here? We are um,
3: um we're going to a restaurant tonight. I know the owner, says so just coming. Oh,
1: Helen is the enemy. Mm-hmm. <sighs>
0: Big whoop. Okay, let's um, let's go take a nap. What do you say?
3: Miss, you cannot be up here. Hey, hello, Grandpa. Because <laughs> for one thing, *Bridesmaids* is just pound for pound, joke for joke, a really funny movie. And it, it's another one of those that just at the, if the script sucks, it just doesn't work at all because you can't improvise your way out of it. it. The story's really well crafted. The characters are all really well developed. Like just Kristen, I mean, um, Melissa McCarthy's character is so well written and performed, yeah. but like that's a very unconventional character. And just the way it plays with like um, with friendships is very
2: fascinating. Bridesmaids is hilarious. Yeah. It's one of those movies that my, my wife and I quote constantly Think-go.
3: That's another thing. Like, when's the last time anyone thought about Midnight in Paris? I mean, obviously, (laughs) there's obvious reasons why people kind of don't, but, you know, it also just wasn't as good of a movie as people would remember. And whereas Bridesmaids
2: was like a comet. I think that the Oscars or the Academy just doesn't respect comedies like they should.
3: Midnight Midnight in Paris is more of a fantasy, but yeah, I agree with you. They largely ignore comedies, even though once in a while, because, like, McCarthy was nominated for it. So it's very, they have a very weird relationship with comedy. Like you have to really go over and above to make them impressed. And I don't understand why. (laughs) Come on, just like movies, damn it. It's okay to laugh and not even like a laugh in a serious movie, but actually laugh. They used to do that. Like there'd be random comedy nominations like Crocodile Dundee got a nomination for best original screenplay for God's sake.
2: I guess I'm still kind of amazed that it was even nominated considering part of that script has people shitting in sinks.
3: That's what. That's what's funny. <laughs> they they no one
2: else thought to do that.
3: That is true. That is true. And this wig on the plane is amazing. Because that whole scene is so well written, and even the more serious ones, like when McCarthy comes over to give her the pep talk, or when uh, Wig is kind of hit
2: rock bottom. I mean, all fantastic. That that movie is just a great comedy. I think it's one of the best comedies of the 21st century for sure. Agreed, for sure. Well, on to my number four, which is a twofer. So. I just think this person has been wronged throughout the 21st century because she's an amazing actress and still has zero Oscars on her shelf, and that's Toni Collette.
1: Okay, so fine, then
0: say what you want to say then. Hey, Dad. I don't want to say anything. I've tried saying it. Okay, things. so try again. Release yourself. Oh, release you, you mean? Yeah, fine. Release me. Just say it. Just fucking say <laughs> it. Don't you swear at me, you little shit. Don't you ever raise your voice at me. I am your mother. Do you understand? All I do is worry and slay and defend you. And all I get back is that fucking face on your face. So full of disdain and resentment and always so annoyed.
2: Oh. Now, she was in two roles, I believe, should have earned her an Oscar. The first was for Little Miss Sunshine. And the second was for Ari Aster's Hereditary mm-hmm. in both films, she plays the matriarch of a family trying to hold stuff together, but I think her strongest performance, among dozens of other amazing performances, has to be her role in Hereditary. Because she was nominated in 2000 for uh, six Sense, losing to yep. Marcia Gay Hidden. That's another
3: one she could have won as well, and she's act- and unlike the other two, she was nominated.
2: Yeah, she wasn't even nominated for these two, which is crazy. I actually think that the women in Ari Aster films for some reason just don't get nominated, perhaps because they're horror films, but yeah. I mean, Sixth Sense was technically, but they give amazing performances both her and Florence Pugh. Uh,
3: what year was Was um Hereditary? That was 18.
2: Hereditary was 2018, yep.
3: So that year she loses to um Olivia Coleman oh shoot that would have been lead huh my bad
2: duh yeah so olivia coleman uh the yeah, woman one, from roma glenn close lady gaga and melissa mccarthy which melissa mccarthy's performance was good but i don't think it was anywhere near as good as tony collette's it was more subtle but
3: yeah okay hereditary is bad. what was the other one best actress that year so that's helen mirren
2: yes <laughs> <laughs> that's tough <laughs> Tough. I mean, I don't know that she would. I think she would deserve to win it. But if she didn't win it that year, I wouldn't have been mad. Uh, right. But f- I mean, I don't think any actress did a better job than she did in 2018. And she Agreed. wasn't even nominated. I know. That's a bummer. So Toni Collette continuously being wronged in the 21st century. Can we please give this woman an Oscar already? I think she gets one this decade. I, think I hope so. I don't,
3: I don't know how, but I think like, it'll, it'll break through somehow.
2: I hope so. She was great in uh, *Knives Out* too, in a very small role, but still awesome. Yeah, no, oh, yeah. She
3: wouldn't have been the the performance I plucked out for *Knives Out* if I was nominating it for anything. Okay, my number three would be. It's kind of a. I would say Fincher losing to, uh, best director to Tom Hooper was rough.
0: Mark, what is this? A what? This. It's called a cease and desist letter. What were their names? Who? The girls. When did you get this? About. Ten days ago, right after we launched the site. Jesus Christ. Hey, the girls, what were their They're names? They're saying the Winklevoss twins are saying that you stole their idea. I find that to be a little more than mildly annoying. Oh, well, they find it to be intellectual property theft. Look, why didn't you show this to me? It was addressed to me. They're saying that we stole the Facebook from Divian Arendra and the Winklevoss. I know what it says. Did we? Did we what? Don't screw around with me now. Look at me. The letter says we could face legal action. No, it says I could face legal action. This is from a lawyer, Mark. They must feel they have some grounds. The lawyer is their father's house counsel. Do they have grounds? The grounds are our thing is cool and popular and Harvard connection is lame. Wardo, I didn't use any of their code. I promise, I didn't use anything. Look, a guy who builds a nice chair doesn't owe money to everyone who ever has built a chair. Okay, they came to me with an idea. I had a better one. Why didn't you show me this letter? I didn't think it was a
3: big deal.
2: That's uh, for the King's speech in 2010? Uh Uh-huh. Like there like
3: it's kind of the it's kind of the I mean, that's not unfair or that's unfair to ordinary people but like scorsese losing to redford but like the worst the worst version of that because <laughs> Benchel, like far and away directed the best movie that year and it should have won picture too but you know i figured i'd combine them um and he's like obviously one of the best directors and social network is probably his crowning achievement as far as that's concerned like even though some
2: people will say like zodiac but
3: you know like social network is a hard movie to do
2: yeah, social network. I mean, how do you make a movie about Facebook and make it good? Uh, exactly. You write it with Sorkin, and then you direct it with David Fincher, and it was amazing for sure. And it was the best version of both of them
3: because it was very kinetic and and moved in a way most Fincher movies kind of. Well, I mean, like even except for like Fight Club, like most Fincher movies aren't as kinetic. They're they like they're very still, which is a good thing. But it was a very great mesh of both of their talents.
2: I agree with that. I think Panic Room also moves pretty well. And he
3: managed to balance out a lot of the Sorkin BS. Like, and it made everything just flow.
2: Uh, you mentioned Zodiac. Do you have that on your list anywhere?
3: Uh, no, because I like I looked, at, cause I looked at it, and it wasn't nominated for anything, so I couldn't do it. I I limited oh, myself yeah. to what that was in that category that year. But 07 is a brutal year, man. Because... Like, Basically, it's um, no country, and there will be blood competing for everything. And it's like, what are you gonna do? Like, I don't. Oh yeah. Even if Zodiac managed to crack in a few categories, I don't think it wins anything because like Bardem's gonna win for supporting. So there goes um, Downey or um, uh, uh, or Ruffalo, and then or Gyllenhaal, and then it's not gonna win director. It's going either going to the Coens or PT. So. I don't maybe cinematography, but even then like you're losing to there will be blood. Like I just didn't see a, it was just a bad year.
2: Yeah. That one was rough, but it almost made my list because I was very shocked that a movie like Juno was nominated for best director and best picture I over Zodiac. Juno. I love You Juno. love Juno? I do. Oh, I can't stand Juno. <laughs> Fair enough. Social network. Um, yeah. Social network deserved either director or best picture yeah i would have
3: i would have settled for either but like for king's speech of sweet bubbles like god damn it of course like i of course it was gonna happen
2: (laughs) well my number three is heading back to the actor category last time i told you that tony collette was wronged throughout the 21st century and there's somebody else who's been wronged throughout the 21st century as well and that's jake gyllenhaal mr dover
1: mr dover what you need to take care of yourself and your wife. And that's the come. best thing you can do right now. That little girl yeah. is going to need you when she comes home. Kid's gone for more than a week. Have half as good a chance of being found. And after a month, almost none are not alive. All right? So forgive me for doing everything I can. You no know one. It hasn't been a fucking week. You're right. Day it hasn't fucking been a week. six. Day six. And every day. She's wondering why I'm not there to fucking rescue her. Right. Do you understand that? Right. Me, not you, not you, but me. Every day. All right. So forgive me for not going home to have a good night's rest.
2: Oh, I know. He almost made my list twice. Oh, yeah. And I got two on here that he was wronged for. The first one is prisoners and the second one is nightcrawler. Mm, those ones violated my, my rules because he wasn't up for either of those. He wasn't, and that's such a crime. In Prisoners, he plays this detective on a case of a missing child, and in Nightcrawler, he plays a reporter who seeks out stories at night in super dangerous ways, and even in Zodiac, I mean, he could have been nominated for Zodiac. Jake Gyllenhaal simply transforms into whatever role he's in. In two thousand thirteen, so in two thousand thirteen, he went up against Jared Leto for Dallas Buyers Club, who won it. We'll get to him later, <laughs> and then we, we. We also see him go up against Bradley Cooper for American Hustle, and I think he was better than either one of those for his role in Prisoners. Mm-hmm. And then in 2014 for Best Actor, he would have gone up against Bradley Cooper for American Sniper, Benedict Cumberbatch for The Imitation Game, and Eddie Redmayne, who won for The Theory of Everything. I, I have did. to believe that his role in Nightcrawler was better than those.
3: I, I, I agree. And I, I, one of my um, lists, I had Hall over uh, Clooney. That was because at least he was up for back and should have won for that. Like I think they gave Clooney the one for Syriana just because like you're not winning anything for Good Night and Good Luck. Sorry, but <laughs> you crushed it this year. You did that in Syriana, so here you go. Which happens sometimes.
2: Yeah, the Academy is weird like that. I didn't put that one on my list because I haven't seen Brokeback Mountain, so I couldn't put it on in uh, good conscious. No, Hall's great. He should <clears throat> he should have won. And you know if they'd known
3: Clooney was going to produce Argo, they probably would have been like, you can wait a little longer. So. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh Jake Gyllenhaal come on he needs a statue on his shelf already again he's another one
3: like watch in like 2025 or something he'll get one yeah he's he's gonna go
2: down as one of my favorite actors of all time
3: me too and I kind of want him to win just cause like I, I kind of feel like he could loosen up a little once he wins it like DiCaprio
2: mhm mhm alright my friend let's slide right into your number two my number two We you mentioned it
3: just a second ago but um, I have Keaton over Redman. Let's go. Walk. Where are we going? Get you some coffee. Did I do something to disrespect you?
2: Not yet. Look, I have a lot riding on this fucking play. Oh, is that right? right. Yeah. Oh. People know who I am. Bullshit. I Bullshit. They, they don't know you, your work, man. They know the guy from the Bird suit who goes and tells coy, slightly vomitous stories on Letterman. Well, oh, I'm sorry if I'm popular, Mike. Popular. You know, like... I don't give a shit. Popular. Popularity is this bloody little cousin of
3: prestige, my friend. Okay, I don't even know what the fuck that means. So yeah. that should have been like Keaton's, like crowning, uh, you know, like the capper on his career, and Redmayne only got because it, it was like the hey, look how physical he got, and Redmayne hasn't been good in anything since. I'm like, I'm sorry, I keep giving him at bats, but I'm like, damn, he's just not good. I feel bad because he seems like a nice guy. <laughs> Has Keaton ever won one? No, that was his only nomination, and that performance, like. You know, I'm more pro Birdman than most people are, and I get why people aren't, but like it's one of those like you couldn't plug in anyone else for that and have it work.
2: What a odd thing to have him only have one nomination. And yeah, that movie's amazing. Just the whole one shot feel of it is great. It won Best Picture too, right?
3: Oh yeah, picture, director, cinematography, um, original screenplay, which I disagree with. That should have been Wes Anderson's for a Budapest Hotel. Um I think I want a couple other ones. Tough. I know. I'm like, damn, like that. That should have been the like that should have been Keaton's because then he has been doing really well ever since, like, you know, Spotlight, the founder, Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh, he's he owns Eddie Redmayne in uh, Trial of the Chicago 7. Have you seen that yet? I have not. They have one scene together and it just feels like Keaton just staring him down like, OK, <laughs> Oh, OK, you want you beat me, huh? Watch this. He has two scenes and he just owns Eddie Redmayne, who's in most of the movie. Uh
2: yeah, we need to get this man an Oscar. We need to start just inscribing some of these statues.
3: I know. And Keaton, and I think with Keaton, though, it's going to be a little harder because, like, even though he's in good stuff, he isn't, like, actively pursuing it. So, you know, it'll have to be something very, like, specific to him.
2: I could have seen him being nominated for the founder as well.
3: That was one of those where like the release was so botched and weird that like it kind of came and went for whatever reason. I think it was one of the last Weinstein movies, maybe or something or it was coming out as all as he was as all that was collapsing. And it kind of got lost in like who owns this uh, limbo. kiss of death. Yeah. And then like, yeah, just so much baggage with it. And just it never really got a proper release in marketing
2: well on to my number two which is another film that was not nominated for the two categories that i think it should have won and that's children of men from 2006.
0: i can't really remember when i last had any hope and i certainly can't remember when anyone else did either because really since women stopped being able to have babies what's left to hope for?
2: That's good.
3: Just the whole movie, or one specific?
2: Well, I would say best. It had no nomination for best picture or best director, and I think it deserved to at least be nominated for both. I don't know if it would have won for both, but at least it's not
3: beating The Departed. But I agree with you.
2: Yeah, and it's it was never going to beat The Departed because they had to get Scorsese in there. And Koran, like he's he's got five now. He he's good. (laughs) (laughs) He's good
3: now, but he wasn't then. No, I know. I'm just like, that's why I'm like, well, I can let that go because like at least he, he won, he would win five in like the next decade. One of which is for editing, which is, which is really cool. Like I love when direct, when like a director will have like a random, like Oscar, like Kubrick has a visual effects one or like Joe Johnson has a visual effects one or like the one for something that isn't directing as like a a craft one. Those are neat.
2: (laughs) Yeah. He was actually nominated for, well, was he the editor on this? For, he was. It was nominated for editing, but I don't know if he was the one that was nominated.
3: He may have been. Um, I know he didn't win. Um, and he got cinematography for Roma as well, which I'm like, that's kind of neat.
2: Oh, yeah, that's true. This film lost. Uh, it was nominated for cinematography, but lost to Pan's Labyrinth, which I, I mean, I can't argue that. Yeah.
3: <laughs> Navarro did a good job with that.
2: Yeah. And it was nominated for best screenplay as well, which it didn't win. And again, I can't fault. I can't fault the movie for that.
3: But it lost to The Departed,
2: right? It did. Yeah. Okay. But this is one of the most well-crafted films of all time, and it you know. features two of my favorite shots possibly ever: one outside of a cafe, and one inside mm-hmm. of a car that is simply amazing.
3: Makes you feel better. Chivo would uh, would win three in a row that next decade for Gravity, Birdman, and Revenant. So it, you know, the universe balanced him out.
2: He he, good. It did. It did balance him out. I was just so dis. Like when you look at what was nominated this year, especially for Best Picture, you had Letters from Iwo Jima. The Queen and Babel. I absolutely hated Babel. Uh, I thought it was far leagues ahead of those three films.
3: Yeah, I'm not a huge Inaritu person in general. Like he, like he just seems like the unfun friend of Koran uh, <laughs> and Del Toro.
2: <laughs> I just, I think Children of Men should have been nominated for Best Picture or Best Director. I agree.
3: Like I would have what I would have slotted him in over um, Inaritu for Babel.
2: Oh, I hate Babel so much. That's a tough hang. I don't even know why I hate it so much now, but I just hate it. <laughs> I think it's like, okay, we get it, dude. Like, it's, that's how a lot of Inner 2 stuff is.
3: Like, it's so serious, like uh, 21 Grams or um, Ameros Peros. Like, God, oh, dude, okay. Like, this is good, but like, so dour. Like, Birdman is, only, is the only movie that I would consider fun.
2: <laughs> yeah, I agree. All right, on to your number one. Chauncey Talese, what's your number one on five 21st century Oscar errors? Oh boy, my number one, this one drives me nuts every
3: time because I love the performance that lost to it and I don't like the actor or the performance that won, that is Jonah Hill losing to Jared Leto.
0: Yeah, my wife, yeah, my wife is my cousin or whatever, but it's not like what you think whatever, you know. Is she like a uh, first cousin or is she... You... Yeah, no, she, you know, her, her father is the, is the brother of my mom. Mm-hmm. It's Good not job. like, what you know, look, we grew up together. And she grew up hot. You know, she right. fucking grew up hot and all my friends were trying to fuck, you know, and I I was I'm not gonna let someone, you know, one of these assholes fuck my cousin. Oh, so yeah. you know, I use the cousin thing as like yeah, like know, an end with it like I'm it. I'm not gonna let someone else fuck my cousin. Boy. You know, if anyone's gonna fuck my cousin it's it's gonna be me out of, out of respect.
1: You know. No, I get it, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean you're not afraid of like the whole kid thing, right? Like the we're whole happy kids life. right? Yeah. And no, I mean, we have two kids. And the I mean <laughs> I don't mean I don't wanna get personalized, right? they, they, okay? No, they're not retarded or anything like that. But Put there's a big year. chance, right? Yeah, whole...
0: you know, yeah, there's like a 60%, you know, 60 to 65% chance the kid's gonna be fucking retarded or whatever. Scared the shit out of me, buddy. I, look, man, a lot of having a kid or whatever takes risks, whether you're fucking cousins or not. What, what if you... I mean, what if something
1: like that happened?
0: I basically, you know, if the kid was retarded, I would, I would, you know, drive it up to the country and just, like, you know, open the door and let us say, you're free now, you know, like, run free.
3: Oh, uh, for Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, man. Like what Jonah Hill does in that movie is so fucking good. Like he's so goddamn funny. And like uh, this, this just the scene alone where he uh he meets Jordan for the first time. And like, oh, is that your car out there? And they have the drink and he, has, he talks about marrying his cousin. Like that <sighs> is funny. And just and he does so physical throughout the whole thing, too. And with Leto, for one thing, I'm not a huge there, Leto person. Like, uh, did you ever watch jo- Bojack Horseman? No, I Well, I've seen a couple episodes, but I haven't gotten too far into it. There's a joke where a character is eating like a fruit plate and they complain like, oh, why do they put honeydew in everything? It's never honey the honeydew the be, best, never the best thing it's in. It's like the Jared Leto of fruit. And <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, that's my that's my go to description for him. Like, I've never liked him in anything. He's been fine. But like, I'd ever been like, oh, Jared Leto owned the movie. And. The performance itself hasn't, you know, necessarily aged well, and as as most of stuff with Dallas Buyers Club, and I just I know why he won because like look at the transformation, but you know, and since he's won, he's really gone all in on just being the annoying method actor, like Daniel Day Lewis, but I don't bring anything to the table. <laughs> in his performance in Joker, just like or as the Joker, just oh. sours everything now. I hate meth joker and I'm, I'm dreading the Snyder cut. Like I know I'm going to watch it, but I'm like, God damn it. They have Leto in there too. Uh. And with Jonah Hill, like that was one of the best comedic performances I've ever seen in my life. And I've seen a lot of comedy. Yeah. He was great in that. Mm-hmm. And he makes, he, he makes his physicality work. Like when he's choking on the, uh, blo- the, um the turkey. <laughs>
2: I forgot about that scene until now. Or
3: like, or Leo's like, I know it was you, and he's like dying, but he's also like, oh shit, I'm caught, and he's like trying to scramble away. Or the I don't, if I die, I'm going to hell, Jody. Like just that stuff. Like that was a hard performance. And again, I don't know who else could have done it. Good pick, solid pick. Thank you. It's it's one of those it's one of those that really does grind my gears every time I watch Wolf or just think of it. I'm like, god damn it, he lost. Really. Was he nominated for Moneyball? Yes, he was. And I get, and you know what? I looked at it. I'm like, he could have won from Moneyball, but I'm not taking that away from Plummer because Beginners is incredible. And I was like, that's a, one of those, okay, Jonah, here's your first nomination. You were good. Let's see if you can do it again. He does it again in Wolf and isn't rewarded. I think DiCaprio could have beaten McConaughey too. As he probably should have because that's another one where like what Leo does physically with that performance is just almost unparalleled.
2: On to my number one. And this is another one that this person has gotten the, the short shrift, at least when it comes to Best picture. Mm -hmm. And that's Quentin Tarantino. My name is Lieutenant Aldo Rain, and I'm putting together a special team. And I
1: need me eight soldiers. Eight Jewish American soldiers. Now, y'all might have heard rumors about the Armada happening soon. Well, we'll be leaving a little earlier. We're going to be dropped into France dressed as civilians. Once we're in enemy territory, as a bushwhacking guerrilla army... We're going to be doing one thing, and one thing only. Killing Nazis. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I sure as hell didn't come down from the goddamn Smoky Mountains, cross 5,000 miles of water, fight my way through half of Sicily, and jump out of a fucking aeroplane to teach the Nazis lessons in humanity. Nazi ain't got no humanity. They're the foot soldiers of a Jew-hating, mass-murdering maniac, and they need to be destroyed. That's why any and every some bitch we find wearing a Nazi uniform, they're gonna die.
2: The man has not won a Best Picture yet. I mean, famously, we can look to one outside of the 21st century when Pulp Fiction was beat by Forrest Gump. That's rough,
3: and I am I'm someone who actually likes Forrest Gump, and I'm even I'm like, ah, damn it.
2: <laughs> yeah, like I like Forrest Gump enough, but it's no Pulp Fiction. No. At, at that note, it's not even a Shawshank Redemption, which also lost to it that year.
3: I know 94 is a brutal one but like I get the I get like the pathology of like why those things lost cuz like I'm like oh the voting but like you know kind of the age of like well the average age of the voting body probably had to be in their 60s which means like they're and this was like a total this was like the boomer the boomer uh, movie of 10 all boomer movies was Forrest Gump.
2: Yeah, and then we roll into 2019 and he puts out Once Upon a Time in Hollywood which essentially like for 3 fourths of the movie is also made for that same crowd. I know. I can't fault it for losing to a *Parasite*. Even though I like *Once Upon a Time in Hollywood* more, I get why it lost to *Parasite*. But in 2009, it lost to *The Hurt Locker*. *Inglorious Bastards* lost to *Hurt Locker* for best picture.
3: I know that was that probably was his best case to win because like when you look at uh, all the years he's had movies out, like 97 *Jackie Brown*. There's no way in hell he's beating *Titanic*, *Boogie Nights*, or *Good Will Hunting*. Um, right this that was a buzzsaw year like what are you gonna do the kill bills there was he you know they weren't strong enough movies I, I mean i love them but like you know they're not beating million dollar baby and part two alone isn't beating uh crash like or Brokeback. 12 you have Django and like I lo- as much as i like Django. i just didn't see it wasn't wouldn't be the movie i would have picked for his best picture and then 2015 hateful Eight, which again i dig i really i like it a lot more than most but like well it's not beating spotlight and I wouldn't put it over like Mad Max Fury
2: Road is Bastards though I mean I there's a line in the movie where he says you know I think this might just be my masterpiece and I think this was <laughs> his masterpiece and if he was gonna win 2009 was going to be that time he's my favorite filmmaker of all time and at this point I don't think they're gonna give him a best picture win
3: I think he gets the first tenth if it's good like if it ends up, which I don't doubt it won't be, but you know, if if it's good and it's also like maybe a weaker year,
2: that's where you get the uh, the writer director picture sweep. Oh, I hope so. Inglorious Bastards was so damn good, and I thought yeah. he was gonna win it with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and then Parasite just came barreling in and steamrolled and everything. Meta. Yep.
3: Well, with the Tarantino, like the more I think about it, like 09, I, I would have rather him win um, original screenplay over Mark Bull for Hurt Locker, because like. Hurt Locker, I get why Bigelow won and why the movie won, um, but I'm not like, wow, that's a really well written movie.
2: <laughs> yeah, I I don't think Hurt Locker stands up as well as Inglorious Bastards no, does. But like I it get it,
3: I get it, and she and she really did a good job with that. And I think they were like, well, he'll, you know, he's Tarantino, he'll win director eventually.
2: Well, I hope so. I hope he does. What uh, what honorable mentions did you have on there? Because I I got a few that I really. I really felt strongly about, but what did you, uh, what did you have in your honorable mentions? So,
3: um, Rooney Mara over Meryl Streep in 2011 for, um, uh, 2 over Iron Lady. Cause Iron Lady's garbage. Um, Gabourey Sidibe over Sandra Bullock for Precious. Um, one Sandra Bullock one for, uh, blind, the the Side.
2: Yep, that was her honorary Oscar right there, too.
3: Mm-hmm. George Miller is best director over in 2. Uh, Mad Max you Road over The Revenant. Um, let's see. Let me do two more because I have way, way too many. Rosalind Pike <laughs> over more. Like, I get it. And then um, How Far I'll Go for best song over City of Stars.
2: Oh, City of Stars... Is a great one, but How Far I'll Go is is great too.
3: That's a banger. Like I don't, it's not, City of Stars never really became like a crossover hit, whereas like you, How Far I'll Go, that's
2: a jam. I guess I just have a soft spot, a soft spot for uh, La La Land.
3: I know, I know, I I like La La Land more again more than most people. Like I didn't hate it, but like I'm like, damn, How Far I'll Go, that's a banger. And like Lin-Manuel Miranda would have gotten his egot, which would have been fun. And you know, like that's not the song I would have picked for La La Land to win and all the other the other two were up or no um like here's to the ones was up as well which i thought that one was going to be the one that wins how about you
2: uh well i think the most famous one it wasn't it was never going to make my list because i never wanted to go this obvious but crash winning best picture mm-hmm. over munich good night and good luck capote and brokeback mountain brokeback, you like that that was cowardice <laughs> drive was never nominated for anything which was amazing in 2011 I know. I got, well, I already talked to Ari Aster's women roles, but Florence Pugh for Midsummer. I mean, amazing performance. Amy Adams for Arrival. Like, how did Amy Adams not win an award? She was very close to making my list, just being wronged in general. But Amy Adams is another one who is like a chameleon, just amazing performances. And I think that Arrival was like her coup de grace and didn't win it. it was that just so sad. I was going to
3: make my list, but I'm like, oh, yeah, she wasn't was nominated. So, and if she
2: was, she wins. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic movie. And her performance is great. Anything else to promote? Like, tell us about your podcast, man. Tell us about your podcast. So I do LA Puppetential.
3: It's out uh, once a week and it covers, I mean, mostly the LA Ram stuff. And then since it's the off season, we also integrate in a lot more movie news, but we do movie news, superhero news. And then we'll probably we'll do like what's good where we share like what we've been watching that week. And then sometimes we do top fives. We haven't had to do any because it's been quarantined. So there hasn't really been an excuse because no new movies have really come out. And then I also have another podcast I'm uh, in the making of right now called What a Run, where I examine uh, great runs by either directors or actors. And season one's going to be the 85 to 99 run of Tim Burton. Ooh, nice. That'll be up in like late March, early April. Just subscribe to LA Providential. When it drops, subscribe to What a Run. And also, if you're interested in the Rams
2: offseason, by all means, check out LAFBnetwork.com. Awesome. Thanks for coming on, Chauncey. This was fun. I had a good time researching this, and it made me as angry as it was fun to do. Thank you so much for letting me vent. And that's the show. Intro and outro bumpers today come courtesy of Nate Spears. The top five list bumper was produced by me with music from Audio Binger. If you want to be a guest on The Force 5 Podcast, the only requirement is that you love movies and want to talk about them. If you have a top five list that you want the world to discuss, head to the website force5podcast.com, which has a show request form and other Force 5-related stuff. Make sure to rate and review the show on your favorite podcast platform and follow The Force 5 on Instagram and Twitter so you can tell me which picks we missed. Until next time, stay safe, stay sane, and go watch movies and performances that deserved some recognition we